Welcome to another episode of Professors at Work. I'm Rami Khoury, your host at the American University of Beirut, where every week we talk with a professor or a research scholar about the research they're doing, the findings that they're getting, and what all of this means to the rest of us. I'm very pleased to have our guest today, Dr. Tamir Amin, who is an associate professor in the Department of Education. He's actually a developmental psychologist by training and profession and works on education issues. Dr. Amin, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I know uh, from our few discussions that you're working on issues related to science and teaching of science and the issues in the language of science that make it either easy or difficult for kids, young kids and or older people to understand science. So could you explain why, what, why did you choose this topic and how did you get your, how did you get going in your research? Uh, well, I mean, actually, the how I chose the topic has roots in when I was a chemistry student myself, actually. And I got, because uh, I, I did my undergraduate and master's degree in chemistry initially before switching over to education and psychology. And I was always fascinated by the, the metaphors that I encountered in science textbooks. Um, often they weren't really explained. So authors would just say things like they would use very mechanical words like coupling to refer to abstract mathematical things like mm -hmm. wave functions. And I just mm -hmm. found fascinating how those metaphors worked, how they uh, were sometimes helpful to help us understand things, but sometimes were quite obscure. And this is, a, this is for you or then a chemistry student at, in college. How does, this, how does this relate to, say, high school students? Well, it's very much related. I mean, it's this, the, the same sorts of mes metaphors uh, arise uh, as well. So, it's, um, so basically, my interests um, uh, grew out of that initially, and then I encountered uh, research in linguistics. So even though I was a developmental psychology uh, student as a PhD student and a later researcher, I found that there's work in linguistics on the metaphors that we're exposed to in our everyday life. Um, oh. And we actually do think metaphorically in many ways that we don't realize. Um, and that work in linguistics started to uh, inspire my work in, in science learning and teaching. Mm -hmm. So you launched one or more different research projects with your colleagues and on your own. And how, how uh, did you proceed? What are you actually trying to discover in your research? Okay, so let me, let me give a very quick example so that we can make this a little concrete. So mm -hmm. uh, just from everyday, in our everyday language, we'd say something like, I'm in love or uh, I can't get out of this mood I'm in. Yes. Example. So in love... Uh, certainly love, you know, we think of it, I mean, it's an emotion, um, mm -hmm. not a, a container that you're in, right? So, so <laughs> yeah. you use a preposition like in, um, and it's so run-of-the-mill and obvious that we don't stop to think about it. But actually, when you say something like, I'm in love, you're conceptualizing emotion as a container, yes. similarly with, with, with a mood. If you know to cut a very long story short, that's that's just one little example in in everyday language. We actually use similar things in in science. So you talk about an electron being in an energy state, right? 
So you use the idea of a space, a spatial idea like a container to think about something that's really very quantitative and abstract, like an energy state of, a, of, an, of an atom mm-hmm. or an electron in an atom. So uh, that's just one kind of example. I mean, we also, uh, if you think of um, in our everyday language, we will say things like, uh, I'm working towards that promotion or mm-hmm. something. Uh, you use towards, that sounds like something spatial. You're talking about moving towards a particular location. Right. But actually what you're talking about is is a goal, a life goal in your career, etc. Right. But then you, we talk about uh, thermodynamics uh, processes as moving in different directions. Um, yes. So things move in the direction of greater entropy. And you end up seeing, when you open up a science textbook, you see lots of diagrams that spatialize a lot of very abstract concepts. And as science students, we just sort of get in the habit of interpreting these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never stop to, to actually realize that these, these are spatial metaphors that are being used to make sense of something very abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I, what I explore is those pattern, metaphorical patterns in the textbooks that learners uh, read. Um, I do um, uh, what's called expertise studies. So I will give problems to experts and have them solve them, analyze the metaphors that they use while they solve these problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then also give similar problems to undergraduate students, to high school students, and see how they solve them. And then compare the way that people with less expertise and people with more expertise end up using these metaphors. So in a way, it's sort of charting, trying to identify an aspect of the learning process in the metaphors that people use. You know, how people learn to become experts in metaphor use. Right. Well, you have uh, here, speaking to you at the other end of this discussion, um, myself, a person who was totally lost in chemistry and physics in high school and Mm -hmm. barely passed, and then immediately in college uh, went into journalism and political science, because mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't understand what was going on in chemistry and physics. Uh, yeah. Is that partly because of the uh, metaphorical patterns you're talking about and the language that was used? Definitely in part, you know, so mm-hmm. if, if you, um, the, the patterns end up really being very intricate. Um, and mm-hmm. so in, in one of the studies that I did, for example, uh, which was on the concept of entropy specifically. Mm-hmm. We looked at uh, across um, three different textbooks that were dealing with the topic in very different ways. You know, mm-hmm. so one much more using much more mathematics, one using less mathematics, some focusing mm-hmm. on entropy in the context of chemistry, some in physics. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look across, you do a careful analysis of the language in all of these areas, you see that, you know, even a concept, a single concept like entropy, you could find, you know, somewhere between wow. 16, 20 meta, different metaphors that are being used, but related to each other, but they're still different. And so um, it's it, it does seem to be uh, assumed that a learner just sort of picks these up implicitly without really uh, being taught about it. Um, yes. So, so people seem to get the knack of, of picking up these patterns without thinking too much about it. 
others maybe need direct instruction to to attend to them and learn how to use them. So oh. yeah, so it's definitely a fee, you know a feature that can vary from from one person to another. Mm. So w- what is the um, logical use or end result of your research? Are you looking at this with a view towards maybe helping adjust the way science is taught to young people and college mm-hmm. students uh, or even adult classes? Uh, mm-hmm. Is that your ultimate goal to make teaching science uh, more effective? Absolutely. So that's that's the that's the goal. Um, I'll give you a, a couple of examples of how that can play out. So, for example, one way you know, so teachers always use like to use analogies. You know, they mm-hmm. realize that using an analogy is going to be helpful to help you understand something. You sort of you refer to like the the cell. Uh, as a as a factory or something like that, so some kind right. of um, analogy that helps you understand something in terms of something a little bit more familiar. But but what so my research how it helps in this respect is that it kind of it helps you it guides you in thinking about what analogies are more likely to be effective. Yes. So if your analogies are in sync with the meta the implicit metaphor patterns in the text that the learner is exposed to they're more likely to be they're more likely to help yes. um, if the metaphor is not uh, in sync then it kind of actually creates more confusion by giving you a kind of a tool to think with but that tool is actually not really um, uh, resonating with the ideas that you're reading about uh, in the text, and as a result, it sort of creates more confusion. So one, so one benefit is it helps you evaluate what are likely to be effective instructional analogies. Uh-huh. Um, the other, it can guide you in designing diagrams. You know, so textbooks, um, good ones, are often uh, full of very clear and supportive diagrams that help you understand abstract ideas. Now, if you analyze the metaphors carefully, it can guide you in the design of those diagrams. Uh-huh. So that's, that's another implication. Um, and then another, a third is how you actually... So um, what's becoming very prominent now in science teaching is the use of simulations, you know, interactive simulations that you right. can... Um, that you, as a learner, you can actually try things out. You can add an electron to to an atom and see what happens. Things like that. Yeah. Um, so one of the uh, the benefits of this approach is that you can actually design more effective ways for the learner to interact with the simulation, um, oh, and wow. also more effective ways of representing ideas in a simulation. So that's that's the kind of thing that. Uh, that comes out of this work as far as practical implications are concerned. And you're doing this work presumably with students and teachers simultaneously? Let's see. So my work has been mainly in what's referred to as expertise studies. So I'm kind of, being a developmental psychologist, I'm really interested in the process of how uh, thinking changes, how concepts change. Mm -hmm. So... um, I focus mainly on very detailed interviews with people at different levels of expertise. So, um, and so this is uh, not done with teachers. This is done with students themselves, sometimes with university professors to kind of get the other end of the spectrum. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't been doing teaching studies myself on from this you know point of view. So my research is published in journals that focus on reporting the results of what are the implications of this work for how we understand learning. And right. then out of that, there are others in the field who design instructional set, uh, you know, instructional designs uh, that follow from this work. Hmm. And, and do you have results already that you can uh, share with the world? Um, well, okay, so it's hard, to, it's hard to sum them up in, so I would say that we have results in the sense that I can, I've specialized in the concept of energy. Um, mm-hmm. and different aspects of the concept of energy. What the results consist of are a, um, a mapping or a description of the range of metaphors that are used to explain the concept of energy in, uh, in scientific language. Okay. Um, and, and that then is, uh, feeds into the, uh, the design so that other people might, might do. So I haven't done, so I can't distill it. It's very hard to mm-hmm. summarize it in, in kind of like a, um, in a nutshell, if you right. will, what yeah. the result is. Um, other than to say that the, the intricacies of the metaphors that we use is much more than we realized. And most of the, met- many of the metaphors that we found are actually things that people never didn't actually realize were metaphorical. Um, right. So, uh, so the result is to alert uh, researchers on instruction that these metaphors exist, um, to give inspiration to instructional designers how, what to incorporate into their designs, whether they're diagrams or their simulations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, and I, if I was to give sort of one, one very, one specific example, if, if this work guides you in selecting analogies, I can say that, well, the work that I've done on, on entropy and energy implies that when you teach the concept of entropy and say, use the analogy that uh, things tend towards greater chaos, as an right. analogy, um, is actually not as effective uh, than to use the analogy of freedom. So freedom is actually much more likely to be a useful pedagogical analogy than than chaos when teaching the concept of entropy. So that's just one very specific. Wow, how, how interesting. So I teach writing and journalism and uh, things related to writing, to and different kinds of writing, opinion writing, narrative writing, feature writing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've been telling students for decades is tell say things clearly and say them in the way that you speak as much as possible. So mm-hmm. that you maximize the likelihood that the person you're either writing for or if you're speaking on radio or TV or giving a speech, that the likelihood of your audience understanding exactly what you're saying will be maximized. So, mm-hmm. it's a, so it sounds like there's uh, uh, some similarities here between how people write and how people use metaphors and language in terms of clarity and, and, mm-hmm. and, and being received properly. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also add, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned writing because there are metaphors that we use to talk about writing. 
Right. So, for example, that when you when you talk about you often talk, for example, about the flow of an argument in in an essay or in an argument that you're writing, uh, this notion of flow. That's that's a metaphor, you know. Yes. I mean, this, you know, and an argument is not a liquid that that moves through a pipe, you know, or right. down, or down a slope uh, or a valley or whatever. So. Uh, w- how you know, that is a metaphor that we use as teachers to talk about writing to students or even to mm-hmm. talk about writing with each other when you're sort of giving each other feedback um but that's a you know on the one hand that's a very vivid idea this idea of flow but also to imagine what a learner or somebody trying to improve their writing how do they unpack that metaphor what does it mean to them in a way it's sort of um it needs a lot of detail and illustration before they actually start to appreciate mm-hmm. what the notion of flow means. Or like so, you just you just use the metaphor unpack. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I mean, somebody actually, might not we, understand that. Absolutely. And in this topic, I mean, once you start talking about metaphors and you point out that there are a lot of these implicit ones that we use, you, you see it everywhere, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Start to realize how much we rely on it to... Um, in a way, package, and there's another one, package our ideas in ways that yes. are concise. Um, right. But often, from a learner's point of view, you've packed a lot into a very small sentence um, right. that they, it takes them a lot of experience with writing, practicing, get seeing examples where you tell them, you know what, you need better flow here, and you need better flow there, and then gradually mm-hmm. they put together um, a, a better understanding of what we mean by that. So, mm-hmm. and that's that's one way in which metaphors can be a double-edged sword. You know, you know, they they, they seem to clarify, um, right? But sometimes, from the point of view of the expert, they're actually um, clear. But from the point of view of the learner, they're they're actually right. quite clear. And and you're focusing heavily or uniquely on science teaching. Or does what you do imp, uh, have implications for broader? We just talked about teaching writing, mm-hmm. uh, the teaching uh, other uh, subjects other than science. It certainly has implications in, in, in other subjects. My focus is only has been science primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have uh, interesting, I mean, just very recently um, have joined a group of researchers internationally who are working on the development of religious concepts in children. Wow. Oh. And, and there's a, uh, I can give you an example from, from a religious context where metaphors are at work as well. Mm-hmm. And so if you think of talking about blessing, oh, in, if we use in Arabic, baraka, yes. um, the language that we use to talk about blessing in Arabic is very spatial. You know, so something mm-hmm. gives and takes blessing, or something has blessing in it. You know, right? Um, so children are getting exposed to these ideas in sentences that are very spatial. But of course, these are things that they don't see. You don't see blessing. You don't see baraka. It's not a right. thing that you can yeah. touch. And yeah. um, but the language that is used to talk about it is very much. It's the same language that you would use to talk about. Um, handing people things, objects, right. and putting them away and putting them in, in boxes and things like that. Right. So um, 
so this is an this is a very interesting so you see there i mean this is you know very far removed from science because right. it's, it's a uh it's a spiritual um idea it's an idea within the context of of really supernatural belief mm-hmm. uh, they just right. believe so it plays out in that domain as well and if mm-hmm. if actually the the more the domain is less concrete actually the more you see metaphor at play wow um, because you know you need a way to make sense of things so if some, if things are not there for you to observe them i mean at least in science you can go to the lab and you can see certain things it may right. not be seeing the atoms and the electrons that are doing things behind the scenes that leading you to see light of a particular color or something like that but at least you do see something um with other domains religion being one but uh, mm-hmm. but also in the social sciences there are a lot of things that you don't see directly um yeah so and of course you end up having to use metaphor to somehow uh capture the ideas yeah uh we've almost run out of time let me ask you one last question uh mm-hmm. what will you do next will you is this research ongoing or do you have a next stage coming up mhm uh well yes it, i mean it, it is ongoing one of the things that um i i'm exploring um is uh let's see how to put this i mean so what i said so far actually sounds quite abstract maybe already and what i'm about to say is going to sound even more abstract <laughs> but i will okay. have to say it anyway because that's what i do yeah um, but so one of the things that i haven't said anything about uh, as we've been talking is how does that relate to what concepts are right? right so okay so i said you know i'm interested in concepts of energy and the metaphors that we might use to uh, learn about it the idea that an energy can be in an electronic state uh, uh, a an electron can be in an energy state things like that so those are examples of metaphors that i'm saying are getting are being used to uh um express concepts or ideas mm-hmm. but i'm mm-hmm. very interested in sort of a very fundamental question which is what is a concept actually you know mm-hmm. and there there is there's work in the philosophy of science and in cognitive science more broadly about giving you a sort of more digging into the notion of what a concept is so yes. one of the areas that i'm exploring now is to kind of, is to try to be more precise about if we're going to say that metaphors play a big role in uh in characterizing and communicating uh concepts yes um, what is how do they fit you know because typically we don't think of metaphor we think of metaphors as just a means of communication we don't right. necessarily think about it as the thing itself so is there mm-hmm. a concept that is then getting that's separate from the metaphor that is getting communicated through the metaphor or is the metaphor actually a part of the concept itself so there are some fundamental questions like that which i think are very important because even for educational reasons because it's very very common that uh educators and i think most people who talk who talk about metaphor think of it as a as a feature of our communication uh-huh. but not so much feature about how we're actually thinking about things um uh-huh. um so what i'm interested in exploring is that that 
that line, you know. So others have written about, you know, where do, where where does communication start and thinking begin, or and right. vice versa. Uh-huh. So so that's a theoretical direction that I'm exploring, but I think are important to lay out because they do have implications for for education. Because if we don't really know what concepts are, we can't really do a good job of of teaching them. Wow. Well, you've taken us into yet another um, uh, almost cosmic realm of life, (laughs) and it's exciting stuff. It'll keep you busy for many years, and uh, I think people will learn a lot as we go along. We've run out of time, unfortunately. Uh, Thank thank you for being with us. We've had Professor Tamir Amin in the Education Department at the American University of Beirut. Uh, Thanks for being with us, Tamir. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It's good luck with your work. And thanks to our audience for joining us. Join us again next week for another episode of Professors at Work. I'm your host, Rami Khoury. Bye for now. <laughs>